Welcome to the Nations Church Podcast. We hope this message blesses you. Well, you don't need me to come up here and tell you that the world has certainly been shaken. Has it not? Oh, my word. We've just been in the States for um, nine months or seven months or something. I can't even remember. A long time last year. Um, And it's the same there. It's the same everywhere. People have completely lost trust in the government. They are completely shaken. Um, There is a real crisis of expectation. People don't know what to expect, so there's a lack of trust in everything. They just don't know what's going to happen. The fear that has been ushered in has brought phenomenal disunity right across every country in the world. And that is pretty bleak. But let me ask you something. When things are really in turmoil, who do people run to? What personal place do they run to? They run to safety, do they not? Because out here is unsafe. They run to a place of safety. They run to a place that's steadfast, that knows what they're doing and who they are, that's peaceful, that's unified, and that has answers, that has answers to their current circumstance. And that, my ladies and gentlemen, beautiful brothers and sisters in Christ is us. That's the church. That's what we are. That's where they run. And I want to turn your attention to Isaiah 60, which is a pivotal scripture for right now in our season. You know, Jesus told us that we, we won't know the time of his return, but we're to understand the season. When we need to understand and discern the season. So let's have a look at Isaiah 62. It says, For behold, the darkness shall cover the earth, and deep darkness the people. But... The Lord will arise over you and his glory will be seen upon you. Now, we can see the darkness over the earth, can we not? We can see the deep darkness over the people. Do you know um, depression is at the highest uh, recorded level at any time? Right across the world, it is, I was looking at the American statistics, it's the same here. There is deep darkness over the world. But what's the end part of that verse? The Lord arises over us, over you. That's us. That's the church. That's us individually as believers. And his glory will be seen upon you. What is the glory? What's the glory? When it talks in Scripture about the glory, it's the manifest presence of God. When the glory showed up in Chronicles, when Solomon built the temple for the Lord, the the, plate, the fire of God fell and the ministers, the priests couldn't even minister. They were flat on their face. That's the glory of the Lord. And the Lord is saying the glory is coming. When you start to see darkness everywhere, I'm going to manifest myself in such a way through my people and my church that the glory is going to be all over them. The manifest presence of God is going to happen. That is what revival is all about. That's what it's about. That's when you see the miracles and the healings. And as I said to the morning service, it's not okay anymore. For cancer, is not okay. I get angry when I pray and if people aren't healed on the spot. I get angry. It's not meant to be that way. 
I'm angry when children that have been brought up all their life in church are backslidden. No, that's not God's will. That's not what he wants for his people, right? And we have to start to position ourselves and get in sync with the Holy Spirit because I tell you with everything in me, I know that that glory is going to come on us. But we've got to be ready for it. We've got to position ourselves for it. We've got to be hungering for it and wipe off and shake off complacency, which is from hell, to stop us pressing in for this for this, you know, and and I want to just whet your appetite because I've been in some revivals. You know, and those of you who've got kids, I remember at one stage just taking our our son to a revival who's now, he's now, (laughs) the end story is now he's a pastor overseas and and he's on track, but he wasn't. And we took him, there was a big Rodney Howe revival in Melbourne and we took him. He didn't want to go and he was sitting up the back with all his mates and they were making fun. It wasn't just, I don't want to go. He was laughing and mocking and making fun of it. And I'm like, who is that child? I don't know him because I didn't, you know. Do you know what the Holy Spirit did? Do you know what happened to him in that meeting? He was hit so hard by the Holy Spirit. In the middle of his mocking, he could not move. He could not move any part of his body. He could not speak. My husband's here to tell you the story. He had to carry him physically with other people into the car because he couldn't move. He couldn't speak. That's the power of God that I'm talking about. Do you think he's backslidden now? Oh, no. And all those other friends that were watching, do you think that they're backslidden now? Fear of God came over them all because they know Ben you can't shut him up and he could not speak he could not move that's what I'm talking about when the Holy Spirit says you know what I'm just gonna have a bit of fun with that kid down there (laughs) he's just gonna see what I can do that's what I'm talking about so I want to ignite with you a passion for this for what God wants to do And what I was doing, I was looking back at when, you know, at at the revival that we know that happened in the early church. There was a massive revival, miracles like you would not believe what we do because we read them in Scripture. But what were they actually doing to position themselves to receive that? Now, we know from the Word that they were waiting in the upper room. However, there was actually some stuff going on before that that positioned them and enabled them to actually do that. So I want to have a look in Acts because I want to, um, I want to alert you to one phrase that is actually mentioned three times, three times in the first two chapters of Acts. And I've just picked out some relevant verses so that you can pick up what is a key to positioning yourself to receive this level of anointing. Acts 1.14. These all continued with one accord in prayer and supplication with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brothers. I want you to note the words, one accord. Acts 2.1. When the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. Acts 2.42-46. And they continued steadfastly. In the apostles' doctrine, in fellowship, in the breaking of bread, and in prayers. 
Then fear came upon every soul and mighty wonders and signs were done through the apostles. Now all who believed were together and had all things in common and sold their possessions and goods and divided them all among as anyone had need. So continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house. Then I just threw in, in case you haven't got the message yet, <laughs> Acts 4, 32 to 33. Now the multitude of those who believed were of one heart and one soul. And with great power, the apostles gave witness to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus and great grace was upon them all. Now this phrase keeps repeating but there's something that I had never actually noticed before. Do you know two of the times that it's mentioned was before they were baptised in the Holy Spirit, before the Holy Spirit showed up. Now, if I could see that phrase after that time, that would make sense to me because I'd think the Holy Spirit fell, they all just forgot about their differences and they all came into unity empowered by him. But the problem with that, and that is true, however... Twice where it says one accord is before the baptism in the Holy Spirit. And the first time it is mentioned, it talks about a group coming together in the upper room and it was Jesus' brothers for a start. Now, Jesus' brothers, the first, last time we hear about them in Scripture, they didn't even believe who he was. They thought he was crazy. That's them. Then there's Peter. Now, we all know about Peter who denied Jesus, but think of it from the other disciples who are now meeting with him. And he's now the kind of official leader, sort of, you know, the leader of the church. And, and wouldn't he, they be thinking, hang on a minute, you should be disqualified from that position. They'd already had numbers of discussions about who was the greatest. That God has got to be in their mind. And then John, who's the only one who remained at the cross. If I was him, I'd be thinking, you probably all got to leave anyway. What are you even doing here? You know? But what did they do? They laid down their differences. They laid them down. Before Pentecost, they laid them down because there was something way bigger than the differences that they were contending for, something a whole lot more powerful. And can I suggest to all of us, it's time for us to do the same. We've got to lay down our differences and we've got to unite because there's something so much more powerful that is, that is at stake. There is so much more powerful that we've got to contend for, but it's going to mean that we're going to have to lay down those things that we don't like about each other, that annoy each other, you know, that, that we don't agree with and all of that stuff, we've got to lay that down because there's a much greater thing at stake and that's the power of the Holy Spirit and the glory of God resting upon us in these last days and we need that. We need that so badly. You see, it's so closely united with power Every verse I read to you, it talks about the power and the miracles happening. But it's one accord and power. One accord and power. So if we want the power, we've got to have the one accord. We've got to do that. And I want to talk to you about what actually they united around. Because we're told that in the scriptures that we read. We're told that they united around four things. They united around, firstly... The apostles' teaching or doctrine, which is the word. 
right? The Word of God. They united around that. Number two, they united around fellowship. And we'll talk about that in a moment. Three, they united around communion, breaking of bread. And we're going to do that today. And I hope that you'll take into it today another perspective. And then four, they united around prayer. That's what they united around. And I want us to have a look at those in a little bit of detail. Because not only are these things that have got to unite us, they're actually the tools to come back to and to use when we cannot unite, when we start to divide, when we start to get upset, we've got to go back to these tools that will actually bring us into that place of unity. And the first one is actually the Word of God. And we have got to come to that place where we unite around what God has said, not our opinion. Not our opinion. We all have opinions, you know, about this and about that and whatever, and that's all fine and good. But if we want the unity of the Spirit, then we've got to unite around the Word. And it's got to be, what does the Word say? My opinion is not going to set you free. If you start spouting my opinion, it's not going to do anything for you. But if you unite around the Word of God and you get other people to join with you and you start saying the Word of God, that will set you free. That will break you into miracles. That, I know that because we've lived that. We've lived that. As I said to the earlier um, service, you know, we have four children and um, as one of our sons, we went to listen to him preach. He'd never preached before, our youngest son, and uh, he (laughs) reminded us that three of the four of them shouldn't even be alive because they were so rebellious and so terrible that it was a miracle that they're all here. It was only one of them that stayed, you know, but they're all serving God now. How? Why? What did we do? We united around the word. Ian and I made a decision. This is life and death. We're fighting for our children, right? We agreed around the word. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. We will serve the Lord. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. We kept declaring it and kept saying it in agreement. And what I found is when we didn't and we started to discuss the situations with the kids, that's when Ian and I would fight because we'd have a different agreement about, you know, you're so soft and you should have said that and I should have done all that stuff. That's not going to bring them home. That's not going to bring them to Christ. But you unite around the word, I tell you what, then there's power. There's power. You know, and there's a lot of opinions around at the moment, but you've got to study the Word of God, the Word. What does the Word say about these current issues? I don't care if it's about gender. I don't care if it's about abortion. I don't care what it is. God loves all these people way more than we could, way more. He died for them to live in freedom. What does the Word say? Unite yourself with the Word and then be part of the solution to love them, to care for them, to provide for them and to see breakthrough in their lives. But you cannot compromise around the Word of God. It's the one thing that unites us. It's the one thing that gives us the same purpose. Now, if you ask people in the world, what's their purpose? They say, oh, I'd like to, you know, what, you know I'd like to get married, have some kids, get a nice car, go on holiday days, have a house, whatever. 
And, and, and you know what? I hear that too much in the church. There's nothing wrong with any of those things. They're all great things, but that's not what you're here for. That's not what you're here for. They're blessings to help you on your way, but that's not what you're here for, right? You're here for, what does the word say? What are you here for? You're here to tell other people about Jesus. That's what you're here for. Otherwise, you should have been taken to heaven the moment that you said yes to Jesus. You're here to tell them. You're here to train them, to disciple them, to follow Jesus, to understand how to go for, walk the walk, right? And you're here to transform the world that you live in, whether it's your supermarket, you know, when you're going shopping or whatever. You're there to actually spread the love and the power of Jesus. That's your assignment. So I said to them in the first service, which we used to say to our prayer team, when you go shopping, you're not going shopping. You're going shopping for people. You might be collecting food on the way, but you're going shopping for people. So look out, which is my assignment? Where are they? You know, and I used to scare our prayer team because I would ask them. And I told the others, you know, one was a, a, a beautiful young girl called Carolyn and um, she was quite shy. And she said when she went into the supermarket, she ran smack into this woman that was limping. She's like, oh, no. And so she went to the other aisle because she just was not brave and didn't want to pray. So, but everywhere she went, this woman would be right there. You know how God sets you up. Anyway, she thought, I have to do it because um, Debbie's going to ask me. <laughs> so, so she actually got into a conversation with her and asked her what happened to her leg. And, you know, she was trying to lift something down for her and everything. Then she said, just before I'm going, I thought, you're going to ask me. So I'm, I said, look, can I just pray for you? So she said, I just put my hand on her like this, you know, be healed in Jesus' name. Amen. Like, thank you. Bye. And the woman starts crying. And the woman's like, Oh my gosh, he's gone through my body. What's happening? What's going on? She's sobbing. She was healed in the supermarket, in the aisle at Colts, completely healed, all the pain gone, right? That's the power of God that I'm talking about. That's the stuff that's got to unite us, right? That's what we do. That's what, who we are. You know, the, 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 our destiny and our purpose is not all this other stuff. That's our purpose is very clear. Let's focus around that and get the job done. Amen? Get the job done. You know, you're the vehicle for someone else's miracle. You're the vehicle. You. Um, so let's also talk about what else did they unite around? Well, they united around fellowship. And what does fellowship mean? It actually means a sense of belonging, having a sense of belonging. And in Psalm 133, David wrote this psalm and it says, How blessed it is and how good it is for brothers to dwell together in unity. For there, and then it goes on to say, For there the Lord himself commands the blessing. Commands the blessing. That's a big deal. That means if I dwell together in unity, God will command the blessing. But what does it actually mean to dwell together? Well, in the time that, that David wrote that psalm, what it actually meant was they would live in close proximity to each other. And why they did that back in the day is for protection. 
for security and protection and also to be, you know, available to each other if there was danger and to really help each other. That's why they lived closely. And what dwelt together means is that, is that being there for each other, being available for each other, protecting each other. That's what dwelling together actually means. And if ever we've learned anything in COVID, you know, in Melbourne, we were locked down in our homes. No, we were not allowed out of our homes for more than, I mean, months. It was terrible. And what happened in that time? Every conceivable problem went through the roof. Every indicator, suicide, depression, alcoholism, drug addiction, domestic violence, everything went through the roof. Why? Because we were never designed to live in isolation from each other. God has designed us to be together. He's designed us that way. And people need that hug, that tangible hug. People need that what you can bring them. You know, they need you to say, look, I'll pick up the kids and give you a break. You know, that's what it is. It's visiting someone in a nursing home that can't get out. And that's why we saw those problems escalate, because we need each other. But that's what this scripture is saying. God's saying, I will command the blessing on any of you that care for each other, where your problem is my problem, where I care about your kids as much as I care about mine, where I'm concerned that you didn't get that job. So I'm going to stand with you and pray. You need money. I'm there for you. I'm going to help you out. Right? They're dwelling together. They're part and parcel of each other's lives. And that's risk, right? It's scary. (laughs) It's scary on every account. It's okay to trust Jesus. I love you, Jesus. That's all good. But these people, not sure. It takes risk. But that's what faith is. Faith is spelled R-I-S-K. And it's stepping out and saying, you know what? I'm going to be there for you and I'm going to let you into my life. I'm going to let you into my life. And I know some of you have been hurt. And can I say just I'm looking at my beautiful people in the online. And I don't want you to feel condemned that you're not here. Because I understand there are many reasons why people are online. And it's wonderful that you are. And we love you and we want you to feel included and loved and all of that. That is fantastic. And there's all sorts of reasons. But also some of you are online because you've lost trust to actually be part of the body again. And I want you back. We want you back. We need you back. Come back. Come back to us. Come back home. Because that's the enemy's agenda, to separate you and to isolate you. All right? But we need each other. We need each other because God's agenda is for us to take people out of the global orphanage and bring them into his family. That's what he wants. He wants us to bring them into his family. But you know what? They don't want to come into a family that's disunited and that's fighting and that's backbiting because they've been there. Their own family's like that. They need to come into a family where, you know what? I have got your back. I've got your back. I'm there for you. Your problems are my problems and we're going to fight together. Amen? Amen. You know, selfishness and independence has got to die in the body of Christ. It cannot be about me and my. It's got to be about we. 
It's got to be about we. You know, and um, I said, you know, it's, I hear it quite a lot. You know, I'm a very independent person. Have you heard that? Maybe you've said that. <laughs> I said to the others, just in case you don't know, you know, in the Asian culture, they have aunties. They have aunties. Aunties have a lot of clout. They can get away with a lot. I'm an auntie. So, <laughs> so, but, you know, now I've lost my train of thought completely now. <laughs> but, you know, I'm a very independent person. But, you know, that's not a quality in the kingdom of God. That belongs to the world because we're called to be dependent on God and interdependent with each other. So let's get rid of the I'm the independent person. That's from hell. You're dependent on God and you're interdependent because we need each other. We've got to have each other. We've got to stand together. Amen. You know, and I was thinking of Coles as I was sitting actually by our open fire at home preparing this sermon. And you know what? Coles go out if you separate them. If you separate the coals, they'll start to go out much sooner than if you put them all together. And that's what happens. You know, it's like our passion starts to wane and our fervency starts to wane. And I'm saying, come on, guys, we've got an end in sight. It's to see the last big revival where you're going to see miracles you never believed before. And it will be in your lifetime. It will be. It will be. You know, it's already happening now. We're already seeing things happening now that if I had time to share with you, it is amazing. It is powerful. What's the other thing that they, they locked around? It was prayer. And I did a lot of research as I was preparing this because I just love prayer. And I started to look at all the revivals in history. And I found a historian that studied all of these revivals. And he made this statement, every revival in world history. I want you to say that. Every revival in world history was initiated or increased by a passionate, fervent prayer meeting. Every revival in history started with a prayer meeting or it significantly increased with a prayer meeting. That has got to tell us something. That has got to tell us something. That it, You know what? We've got to get to the prayer meeting. We've got to unite together and pray to see this manifest presence break out. You know, it says one can bring a thousand to flight. Two, ten thousand. Ten thousand. Maybe you feel like you're under attack. You feel like you're fighting a thousand demons and they're coming from everywhere. Well, if you unite with one other person in prayer... You've got 10,000 are going to be wiped out. Come on, guys. We've got to do it. You cannot reach your corporate destiny on your own. You know, some of you, you're going to need, you know, the faith that, say, for example, Ian and I have got in the area of kids coming back home because we've been there. Your kids are backslidden now. You need my faith. Right? You need, because we've been there, the blood, sweat and tears of walking through all of that, of praying, of fasting, of believing. Finally, the breakthrough. Finally. Then I can pull all of that, all of that into your situation and lock with you and see your kids come home. To see the breakthrough. That's what it's all about. That's what God wants. That's what it looks like to be his family. You know, and it's not about us all being the same, right? That's cloning, cloning. And we saw that with things like Nazi Germany and the German youth, you know, where they all looked the same, they all said the same, they all 
you know, everything about them was exactly the same. And it's demonic, right? They wanted a white Aryan race, for goodness sake. But Bill Johnson made this statement which really resounded in my spirit. He said, true unity is about diversity. True unity is when every tribe, every tongue, every age, every colour, every circumstance in life, the the people that are outgoing, the people that are inward, the people that have got a passion for prayer, the people that are in the workplace, whatever it is, is all of us coming together in unity. That's true unity of the Spirit, where our Father Jesus Christ, I mean our Father in heaven and Jesus Christ, His Son, empowers us to all be one. Because everybody needs what someone else has got. And together we make an amazing whole because the corporate destiny of the church, hear me, the corporate destiny of us is actually that we usher in end time revival. That's our destiny. And it cannot be done by isolated individuals. It cannot. It can only be done by a group of passionate People that, have pu- that, are, that are birthed with purity, they're, they're pure, what made themselves clean by the blood of Jesus. They're completely different in every way from anyone else, but they're prepared to lay everything down, their will, for God's will, and for the sake of unity with their brothers and sisters unite together. That's the army that will actually usher in revival. That's it. It's right there. And that needs to be us. You know, what, what is attacked often shows you what the Holy Spirit is really on at the moment. And through COVID, let me ask you, what was attacked? What was attacked? What was attacked is that fear came in because it's the vehicle to bring disunity. Fear brings disunity. You know, I haven't got time to go into the story, but there's a story about David and his mighty men and they were all away and they're all happy and all united and they came back and uh, everything, they'd lost everything. The Amalekites had come in and absolutely taken everything. And what happened? They were all in a state of absolute torture, torment. Their wives are gone, their kids are gone, everything's gone. What did they do? They turn on David and start stoning him because fear brings disunity. And COVID rode in. And on the back of that, the demonic rode in on COVID and brought disunity. What else did it attack? It attacked the corporate gathering together of God's saints. Why? Because it is powerful. There is such power in you being in the room. And can I just say, you've got this your corporate um, prayer meeting and you've also got your conference And, you know, it hit me as I was reading the word. There's over 500 people saw Jesus alive after his death. Now, think about that. They've watched the crucifixion. They're in Jerusalem. It's all over Jerusalem. They've seen this guy die, put in a tomb. Then 500 of them see him alive again. How many are at the corporate prayer meeting the night the Holy Spirit showed up? 120. I can't believe that. Don't be the ones that missed out, be at this meeting, be at this conference. I'm not just saying this. I I can tell you now, as I've prayed, I've really felt the Holy Spirit say, this conference is like an upper room. I had the word upper room experience. That was the word I had. 
that is going to a different level. You're going to see miracles. You're going to see things happen. People, you're going to experience the presence of God in a way that many of you have never. But you've got to get there. You've got to be there. You've got to invest in there and say, you know what? No matter what, I'm not letting the enemy keep me away from this one. Amen. Amen. You know, and also, I didn't say this, but I really feel that there's something on this, um, at this service. But, you know, it does not, unity does not mean that we compromise with sin. Okay? It doesn't. But I can still love you. I can still love you. And sometimes, you know what? When people have gone right off the track and they're completely in the world and they've gone off, we need to throw them a lifeline. We need to throw them a lifeline. We need to just text them and say, you know what? Hi, I'm here. I love you. Do you want to come to church on Sunday with me? You know, something. Throw them a lifeline. Let me just read this to you. One of my heroes, and I'm sure all of our heroes, is Billy Graham. And I read an article about Billy Graham with the tele, and, and the tele-evangelist Jim Baker. And I'm just going to read you this, the, an excerpt from this article. Jim Baker was imprisoned in 1987. He was a very, very famous tele-evangelist. He was a Pentecostal. Billy Graham was a Baptist. It says, Baker's ministry ground to a halt after he was accused of paying off his secretary to keep quiet about an alleged rape. He was later given a five-year prison sentence due to several fraud charges and was shunned by many in the church. Jim reported the following event to a newspaper. Billy Graham came into my prison when I was there. I was cleaning toilets and it was at a very low moment in my life. Baker recalled as he choked back tears. Billy Graham walked in through his arms of love around me and said, Jim, I love you. That's the love and that's the unity that the world cannot understand or reproduce. But that is the love that will bring the anointing and the power that we are talking about. So come on, some of you know people that are away. Instead of distancing yourself and saying, oh my gosh, isn't it terrible what they did? Did you hear what they did? Do you know what they're up to? No, shoot them a text. Just shoot them a text and say, you know what? There's a conference coming. You're on my heart. I'm going to pay for you to go. I'm going to pick you up. Whatever it takes, come on, let's go together. Can we be the family of Jesus? Can we represent him? Let's do it together. You know, there's so much damage being done in the body of Christ, so much, because we've been finding each other instead of uniting and finding our enemy, who is not flesh and blood. And I know, as I said online, numbers of you are so badly hurt, but we so desperately want you to come home because we need you. You know, and um, I've heard the saying many times, you know, I love Jesus, I just don't like the church. I love Jesus, you know, no problem with Jesus, I just don't like, I don't like the church. You know, well, it's like you being a toe running around trying to do the will of God when the rest of your body is not with you. A toe can't do much. And you know what? I need a toe. So come on, let's unite together. Let's let go of our differences. Let go of our offences. There's not one of us in this room, if you've been in church more than five minutes, that has not been upset, offended or hurt. Because there's a thing about church, it's got people in it. 
right? So we're all, we're all going to be in that boat. But there's something so big, so big right on the horizon now that God is saying, if you join together, if you come on, forgive, let go, just get in the building, get with your, get there. And also say, you know what? I need you. I need you. Will you pray with me? I need you. And we're prepared to do whatever it takes. Because, you know, there's a prayer which we're going to read in a moment that Jesus prayed. And I'm not going to read the whole thing. But five times in that prayer, and this was one of the last prayers that Jesus prayed. In fact, it's the prayer just before he went into the Garden of Gethsemane. Five times Jesus Christ prayed, make them one, make them one, make them one, make them one, make them one. That's his heart. And we've got to say, you know, how many times people said, I just want to know the will of God for my life. Well, that's a good start. Make them one. Do whatever, whatever is needed that we would be one as he and the Father are one. You know, but as, as I said, it's hard, is it not? <laughs> it's very, very hard to do. It's not easy. But in that same prayer, when he said, Lord, make them one, Jesus gave us the key of how we do it. How do we do that? It's hard, right? How do we do it? Well, let's have a look at John 17. Let's have a look at it. John 17, 20 to 23, I'm reading. I am praying not only for these disciples, but also for all of those who will ever believe in me through their message. I pray that they will all be one, just in you, as you and I are one, as you are in me, Father, and I'm in you. And may they be in us so the world will believe that you sent me. I have given them the glory you gave me so they may be one as we are one. Now listen to the next. I am in them and you are in me. May they experience such perfect unity that the world will know that you sent me and that you love them as much as you love me. So how do we do it? What is actually Jesus praying here? He's not just praying that we would be one. He's praying that we will also be one with him. I in them, that we would be one in him. And can I just tell you this, that that, that intimacy, that relationship that you have with the Lord Jesus on your own, in the secret place, wherever that is, it might be in your car driving, it might be in a room in, in your house where you set it a time aside. It might be when you journal, when you're in your own bed. It might be when you go for a walk somewhere. But you've got to foster that relationship with Jesus because the more you are with Him, the more you take on His heart. 1 Corinthians tells us that we become like the one we behold. That means when you're with Jesus... You don't have to try and follow all the rules to be like Him. You just are like Him because you're with Him so much. You're just with Him so much and you take on His heart. You take on His heart. But the other thing is that His power then starts to flow through you. His ability and, and His love flows through you. So it enables you to do what you couldn't possibly do in the natural. Our natural love isn't enough to love our enemies. Our natural love isn't enough when you're badly hurt in a church. 
right? It's the love of the Father that changes your heart and He pours into you so that you can love them. You can supernaturally love them in a way that only we can do when we're in that place where we're a funnel of His love. So just before we have communion, I want to finish with this story because it it truly impacted me so much to go after this level of intimacy with, with the Father. And I found it more and more. And now that's what I want more than anything because I know the power of it. I know what it does to my heart. I know, you know, when I go there, I'm even start praying for someone because they've told me to, you know, to have a prayer request. And I start weeping in another level because I've taken on God's heart for them. I, I, I can't explain it. But you see, years ago, I, we took a team up to here to Heidi Baker who's a missionary in Mozambique, who moves powerfully in the miraculous, um, to hear her up in Queensland. And we took a team up and halfway through, I had to zip out to go to the bathroom. And it was absolutely a divine setup because while I was walking there, Heidi was actually just in front of me walking on her own. And two women came up to her. One of them was profoundly deaf, had two um, uh, hearing aids in. And the other woman had come up and they interrupted Heidi and they asked if Heidi would pray for the deaf woman. And I'll never forget it because I was right there and Heidi cupped this woman's hand, face in her hands and she just looked at her and she's just smiling at her face. And there was such love there. I cannot explain. It was just, it was not, it was, it was tangible. You could feel it. And then Heidi just did this. She just looked up to heaven like this. And she said, Papa, will you do now what you do in Mozambique? Will you do it now? She's just looking up to heaven like this, smiling. And I realised you have such, she calls her father, heavenly father, Papa. She has such a relationship with him. She knows exactly what's on his heart. And she's just looking up like this. She looked down didn't say anything to the woman, just holding the woman's face in her hands. And the next woman, the woman bursts into tears. I was there, pulls out the hearing aid. She's completely healed, totally healed. And then we're all crying. We're all hugging each other. I mean, we didn't even know each other, but everyone's hugging and sobbing and crying because it brought such unity. Why? Because Heidi was a funnel a funnel for the power and the love of God. And that's what we're going to need if we're going to become one as Jesus wants us to be. Thanks for listening to the Nations Church podcast. For more info, please visit nationschurch.com.